So on today's episode of Yours Mentally, we talk about non-suicidal self-injury and suicidal ideation. This was honestly a very informative episode and there was a lot to learn and unlearn from it. I would recommend you listen to this episode at full length. This episode is in conversation with Gautam, who is a counseling psychologist. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So on today's episode where we talk about non-suicidal self-injury and suicidal ideation, Gautam, how does one draw the line between non-suicidal self-injury and attempted suicide? Well, I would say before we sort of talk about like drawing the line, let's like define what the two would be. So non-suicidal self-injury or like NSSI would be defined as something like that's direct, deliberate destruction of body tissue mm-hmm. without having any suicidal intent. Whereas mm-hmm. on the other hand, like suicide attempt would be engaging in potentially self-injurious behavior with an intent to die from that behavior. They can occur in isolation, but they may also co-occur where, you know, the same individual may be alternating be- between like NSSI and suicide attempt. I think when it comes to like drawing the line, I think the way we sort of view it needs to be different because there are a few factors. One again going back to intent. Mm-hmm. The intent with NSSI is more about feeling better because when there are certain intense emotions that one experiences through distress or whatever the situation might be, it to cope from the situation, mm-hmm. people engage in NSSI. Whereas with regards to suicide attempt, that was that would be to end the feeling altogether, like mm-hmm. basically ending life. Mm-hmm. The other would be like lethality. You know, NSSI is usually engaging in again behavior to damage our body, but mm-hmm. it isn't also to damage it so badly that you're not able to again treat it or it causes like long lasting damage to your body. Whereas again, in suicide attempt, it is to end your life. Then there's a difference in even like frequency. Usually people engage in NSSI based on like when they're feeling really stressed or based on like when they're feeling these overwhelming emotions. Mm -hmm. And suicide related behaviors are much more rare. Then coming to methods. Again, methods involved with NSSI, it's more about causing damage to the surface of our bodies whereas suicide related behaviors are much more lethal in terms of cognition as well i would say there is a often a lot of black and white good or bad all or nothing sort of ideation which leaves room for little ambiguity so Mm -hmm. individuals who again engage in suicide attempt or suicide related behaviors often Mm -hmm. experience high cognitive constriction Mm -hmm. and this is less severe with individuals who use NSSI as a coping mechanism. I would say then reactions to the events would be different. The aftermath, you know, when someone engages in NSSI, it is to receive a short-term improvement in our sense of like well-being and it's Mm -hmm. related to again improvement in a sense of well-being and functioning whereas with a suicide-related behavior, it's often the opposite of that. And then there's, you know, based on demographic and prevalence, it could be different. Common forms of NSSI would include, let's say, cutting, burning, scratching, banging, hitting, biting, 
interfering with your wound healing mm-hmm. and also like excess cell rubbing right okay so if not suicide what are the reasons and causes one resorts to self injury and is there any chance of self injury to the tip over and lead to suicidal ideation i would say that you know there are definitely i'm sure there are cases where you know people engaging in nssi could lead to unintentional death but it is it isn't common it's quite uncommon in the field mm-hmm. and in terms of like if we're talking about reasons and causes it could be varying factors uh, with nssi it is majorly because we want to relieve some sort of tension uh, that we're experiencing so preceding the act would be when some experience someone experiences anger tension anxiety dysphoria general distress depersonalization where it just feels like you know there's no escape from like feeling that way from the distress that you're experiencing so you engage in this behavior in which you know it ten- it relieves some of that tension that you experience in that moment then other reasons could be like adverse childhood experiences like emotional abuse witnessing domestic violence any sort of traumatic experiences that you've been through negligence from parents uh, critique apathy from them then i would say like loneliness would be a big factor like disconnect from both like from your surroundings and mm-hmm. from family friends from yourself a sort of loneliness does have an impact on that and there is a certain model i would say you know it talks about intrapersonal and interpersonal processes and mm-hmm. how they both can be either positively or negatively reinforcing the behavior mm-hmm. so in case like if we're talking about a negative intrapersonal reinforcement that would be to again diminish any sort of negative feelings or thoughts that we have whereas the positive reinforcement would be to again experience any pleasant positive feelings or thoughts during or after engaging in nssi when like you know some people talk about feeling alive in the moment or like after they engage in that behavior then in terms of like interpersonal processes that would be like a positive one would be getting attention or sending a message to other people mm-hmm. whereas a negative uh, reinforcement would be as a means to escape you know unpleasant situations or interactions so you know you spoke about how loneliness can be one of the reasons why mm-hmm. people engage in non suicidal self injury right mm-hmm. so a lot of times i have a lot of people tell me that oh you know they feel lonely mm-hmm. so how do you like kind of in a way reply to that like reply in the sense like how do you talk to them about it like you know like yeah i just want to know what do you say and why do you think loneliness is um do you think ah oh, okay this is one more thing that i want to do you think loneliness is only looked at in the negative light like overall like you know so, for some people loneliness might be good for them like they might you know they they probably are okay with it but do you think it's looked at more in the negative light and if if yes then why so well i think this depends cuz like if you're saying loneliness as in just the physical absence of people then mm-hmm. that's different from like feeling a disconnect from others mm-hmm. you know because like even in relationships it's encouraged to have your own spaces where you know you engage in behaviors that make you feel good mm-hmm. you know you have your own social circles you have your own spaces where even whether that's career or whatever aspect but i think loneliness tends to be it would like tend to negatively 
influence us is when you know we feel this disconnect from people and you know humans are social creatures mm-hmm. and i think when we have this sort of disconnect from there's a loss of meaning there's a loss of purpose we don't feel like anyone can relate to us anyone can understand us and when we experience that i think that could be really hurtful so i do think like again loneliness yes it is looked and like there is stigma around that where people sort of push for us to be in social situations mm-hmm. but being in social situations doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be lonely because yeah. you can definitely feel loneliness even you know in the physical presence of other people yeah. it's more about the connection that you have with this other person Mm-hmm. you know like what sort of conversations are you engaging in how much do you know about this person are they being are they given a space to being heard you know being seen in some form mm-hmm. so yeah that's how i kind of view it i'm not sure mm-hmm. if i'm answering your question though no you are you are you just think that i think a lot of people uh, for them loneliness is only the physical absence of people around mm-hmm. them i don't think they consider the emotional aspect of it and mm-hmm. also the flip side to to it is that maybe for them you know being alone physically alone or even just having that emotional absence probably does them better even if it's temporarily sure. it does them better than yeah it would you know otherwise so i think yeah. the, these kind of things are very looked down upon like i don't know it's very common in in india at least i've seen in these in the south asian culture let's say mm-hmm. is that let's say if you're like sitting in a gathering or like mm-hmm. you know you're just doing your own thing i think the elderly people will usually come up to me like oh why are you sitting alone why aren't you like interact yeah. with the others Definitely. Yeah, and then here's the thing, right? And if you tell them you don't feel like it, they they don't understand that. They're like, "What do you mean mm-hmm. you don't feel like it? Like, mm-hmm. how can you not want to talk to others?" Like, yeah, that, definitely. Yeah, because for them, socializing is they, they think that you know socializing has only one side to it, which is it can only make you happier or mm-hmm. it can only make you like in a way occupied, you know, which is good. them like they look at it in a good way so yeah and i think like even when it comes to sort of like engaging in conversations sometimes i feel like the conversations are so like shallow in some form like it's just like small talk that's that's going yeah. on for longer you know and small talk doesn't really help you feel more connected to other people yeah uh you know because there's the missing piece of like vulnerability which can really provide so much when it comes to like feeling connected to one another when you remove that piece of like vulnerability that's where you're just engaging in like shallow conversations where you're just saying something you're hearing something but the connect is still missing so mm-hmm. yeah i think like with elderly people i think they value that sort of like space where you're still talking but it can also be a space where there is still such a lack of connect between those individuals you know involved right so gotham people are often quick to believe that someone engaging in self injury does it for attention from others mm-hmm. more specifically in the context of i'd say elderly people when you know they find out that people younger than them are, do- are doing mm-hmm. this and also people from the same generation gen z if you ask me sure so what are your thoughts on this well you know i do think that the way we sort of look at either nssi or suicide attempt tends to be in a very negative light there's a lot of stigma associated with it and we also often don't know the differences between the two so i would say you know when we think about events from our life yeah. i think like when someone engages in nssi or like suicide attempt mm-hmm. they do carry a lot of shame and guilt with the act 
you know oftentimes people aren't openly talking about these things again that those are also related to like mm-hmm. with the way you know we sort of address it within society mm-hmm. but even internally like people do feel immense shame from those mm-hmm. uh, behaviors mm-hmm. so oftentimes you won't see people engaging in those behaviors just to get attention mm-hmm. and i think like even with the way we sort of name like we're seeing attention but you know they're looking for like that connection and there's yeah. such a missing piece of that connection that we have just termed it as attention and we put like a negative connotation to it that mm-hmm. it still negatively serves them on the other hand though you know there is this aspect of like self punishment like within couples or you know within certain like family dynamics mm-hmm. i would say where if you're unable to sort of let the other person know that you're struggling or that you're hurting and you don't really see them feeling guilty for their actions or they're not changing their behavior and you don't you just really don't know how to like let them know then sometimes people do engage in nssi where at that point you're drawing attention to the fact that this is really hurting me but since you know we can't see mental hurt they mm-hmm. engage in like that physical hurt and seeing that can sometimes like make the other person feel really worried about you mm-hmm. so kind of like draws attention to how the other person is hurting mm-hmm. and if we're looking at in another light like in terms of like within adolescent groups are uh, mm-hmm. wanting to fit in you know that's also a common trait where because you know there are so many social groups that form uh, when you're going through adolescence that you do want to fit in within any group you know you do want to feel accepted and if you're within a group where it's kind of accepted to engage in that behavior then mm-hmm. you would also engage in it so so as to feel part of that group yeah and i agree with you and also going back to what you started your point with i think in india again in the south asian culture sorry not a lot of people would or at least that from what i've seen and heard and read is not a lot of people would engage in self injury in mm-hmm. order to gain attention it's actually the other way around they mm-hmm. wouldn't want to gain attention or because of the stigma in society like mm-hmm. you know it's all about like oh, what people think about us of or, course like, yeah. it's just it's very embedded in indian ski you know we, we we live too much for others than we do for ourselves yeah and and definitely so for every single thing that we do we're always thinking key what will society think about us you know so mm-hmm. i think that's the other side to look at it that not a lot of people at least from our our culture are engaging in like self injury for attention yeah i mean as you said right like that's why i mentioned this is more common within like within a couple or within a family because yeah, yeah. you know we have this again within in, an indian context uh, we care so much about like what society thinks of us that even when there are really toxic sort of a culture that's built within a family or a you know with your partner we still mm-hmm. make sure that we keep it within ourselves that we don't talk about it outside mm-hmm. but at the same time if you look at the demographic a lot of people engage in that and a lot of families tend to be dysfunctional because if you actually yeah. start talking about it that's when you you know recognize like this is all harming all of us at the end mm-hmm. of the day but because you sort of keep you know keep the hush around it you know it still continues the cycle still continues and mm-hmm. eventually like everyone is you know yeah negatively being affected by it 
So. And also, one more thing that I've noticed in Indian families is that whenever they find, like, if parents find out that their children are engaging in mm-hmm. self self harm or you know um, have suicidal tendencies, they quickly jump to believe that um, what they would say is that their child has gone mad or like you know they something has happened to them. They're Absolutely. not mentally stable. Mm-hmm. I think what and then what they don't understand is that there's nothing wrong with their child per se. Mm-hmm. Like like not you know that's not something that's internally like inbuilt wrong with your child mm-hmm. it's just the environment that has in a way caused them to think and be the way they are be- behaving behave the way they are behaving right mm-hmm. and i don't think they understand that and so they're not supportive of you know letting the child seek therapy or just the help that they would require at that moment yeah and so they just uh, in some cases you know they in a way let the child do whatever i'd say like oh you know what we're not going to look after you you can do whatever you want you're not a responsibility anymore i think that that just adds more of a burden on the child in a way sure. and doesn't in a, in any way help the child's problem at mm-hmm. that point in time so i think that's also very important is that they need to educate themselves about like you know mm-hmm. certain things and be more open to learning and listening than just believing that oh we know everything because just because mm-hmm. they're older than us Yeah definitely you know if you think about it if you look at a sort of population of people who engage in NSSI or like have suicidal ideation if they're brought up in an environment where they feel loved where they feel supported you know where it's again love isn't very conditional it mm-hmm. it doesn't depend on like oh, what your grades are or how well you know how polite you are to people outside the family or you know listening to your parents as to like whatever they want you to do engaging in that sort of behavior when they grow up in such an environment usually they wouldn't engage in such behavior because they're able to talk about the distress that they're experiencing mm-hmm. so they're able to gi- be given an environment where they're validated for the emotions that they're experiencing they're supported uh they don't feel lonely which you know at that point you don't have to cope in another way you don't have to cope in a way that results in an injury to your body mm-hmm. and yes i would say you know because of the stigma around like suicide i mean you know up until like recently i mean i'm i still think like people say somebody committed suicide yeah. like we still add that when it comes to like suicide rather than talk about like death by suicide you know almost making it seem like it is a crime yeah. and i think even like in a religious context you know it is often seen as a sin in mm-hmm. many religion so i think like as soon as it comes to the idea of like injuring yourself in a physical form suddenly that it's a lot of panic that's caused and i think for parents like when they're unable to sort of process their own emotions process mm-hmm. like the worrying that's caused to them then they tend to like react to a certain situation you know rather than trying to understand like okay if someone i deeply care about mm-hmm. is going through a tough time to the point where they are engaging in this behavior because that behavior serves a purpose it helps them in some form then rather than trying to understand where this person's coming from you're just like pushing your idea of support onto them saying that oh my god what are you doing like this is absolutely wrong like you know we're, we're doing so much for you you don't care about us so like there's a lot of blame you know again 
blaming the victim that often happens then again like n- still not being given a space to be heard mm-hmm. when this happens again the child still like retracts and feels like they are lonely because again the people who are supposed to care and love them are not able to hear them out are not able to understand what they're going through which would again result in you continuing to like hide from your parents or from caregivers or whoever that you're still engaging in this behavior because you know that they're unable to deal with certain situations like that there's a lot to take in some kind of processing mm-hmm. so gotham what are some signs and symptoms that one self injures and how can one help someone out if they realize that they're engaging in that behavior well i would say again some signs would be maybe some unexplained scars wounds such as like cuts burns um scratches or any bruises appearing on the body mm-hmm. uh and this could be frequent then maybe some unexplained bandaging or like frequently wearing long sleeved clothing and at times where it's like let's say if it's warm weather and you're wearing like full sleeve clothes so it's usually mm-hmm. like considered inappropriate i guess so and if they tend to refuse in any sort of activity where there's the exposure of skin then mm-hmm. that could be a sign mm-hmm. but you know again it's hard to ever know like unless you're you know having a conversation with this person about like if this person talks a lot about wanting to hurt themselves mm-hmm. or having ideation around like i mean if you're talking only about nssi there isn't the ideation around like attempting suicide but there might still be the ideation around like harming themselves you know mm-hmm. and if they're talking if they're having like varying moods and they're talking about how they're experiencing a lot of distress and they really don't know how to deal with it then you know those are some ways in which you can assess but mm-hmm. even after assessing i think it would more be about like having a talk with this person like it goes back into when it comes to help listen don't just mm-hmm. act or assume rather just practice active listening you know mm-hmm. try to be there and try to just be curious about why this person is engaging in such a behavior because at mm-hmm. the end of the day as we originally described it is to relieve some tension and yeah. you know that you're experiencing so mm-hmm. it does provide some sort of comfort to you it's just mm-hmm. that along with it you know physically you experience some damage to your body and then there's also like the shame aspect that you feel around it so ensure that you know you're not shaming the person in any sort of way because they're already experiencing shame on their own and you're just there to listen to them and once you sort of assess like how they're doing just ask them like you know like wait like how do you want to go about this you know cuz if this is hurting you and if there is again a lot of shame and ask them about the shame as well right cuz it depends from individual to individual so mm-hmm. ask them about like if this doesn't serve a certain purpose like let's say relieving tension there are mm-hmm. other ways to relieve it but they may not have access to that kind of support yeah so can we work together to help you get that sort that kind of support and mm-hmm. even with that i think it's important to not break the trust that you have with this person mm-hmm. but it's a hard boundary right i mean with kids it's like 
kids who engage in this like you want to mm-hmm. provide support by getting them professional like care but mm-hmm. at the same time when it's when you're working with a kid often times you have to ensure that as a practitioner you have to ensure that the family is also aware of the situation you don't have to give out information about all of your sessions and all that your clients shares but it's it's important to ensure that you know the client is safe so i would say like again if the client is able to feel connected to you and is being honest to you that's great mm-hmm. you know that's a really important mark because then they're forming this certain connection with you and then mm-hmm. after that you can sort of assess like again being curious like to introduce other ways to cope that can help but if you're talking about just any random person if you find out like you're if you're not in the field of mental health and you find out your friend or someone you care about engages in this one try to listen to them mm-hmm. don't try to push your judgment or shame onto them just try to understand where they're coming from how how frequently do they engage in this behavior what sort of methods do they engage in what sort of purpose does it serve and then eventually both of you can work towards figuring out like how to get this person the support that they're looking for because if they're telling you again they're also looking for this connection and for a certain form of help because they also don't want to continue engaging in this similar behavior because they know again through social norms and through again the internet and what not they do know that it is again injuring their body and they also experience the pain around it so so gotham you know research shows that teenagers are more prone to self injury like mm-hmm. they don't want to engage in it more as compared to people from other age demographics why do you think the age demographic plays an important role in this well i think you know again age is a big factor then again it goes into gender cultural norms around mental health suicide death so age plays a factor because as you keep as you grow older again there are so many changes within your body there's and mm-hmm. especially through adolescence you experience tremendous amount of like hormonal changes social changes you know so it is a vulnerable phase where mm-hmm. because you're experiencing much more distress so because there's so many changes in like even the chemicals in your brain and in your body that chances are there are more situations where you experience distress where you experience uh, tension and if we look at in an indian demographic you know that is when most of us are writing our boards or writing engaging for those national exams and i think that causes like tremendous amount of stress to kids because we associate so much of success with academic grades so because there are like elevated levels of impulsivity uh, emotional reactivity because your brain is developing you know we are adolescents are more vulnerable to engaging in nssi and mm-hmm. again but you know with bullying that happens at school and with social groups that tend to follow being in, involved in dysfunctional relationships there are just so many factors that affect experience of kids mm-hmm. during that age group you know i i, I can i really uh, i've read a lot about the point where you mentioned uh, with children and academics mm-hmm. you know because there's so much pressure on them i think that's something that's very common Mm-hmm. Uh, but i don't think it's really it's it's really disregarded if you are mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like people don't talk about it they're just like 
oh this person was in iit or was preparing for like je exams and you know they couldn't handle the pressure and so they attempted suicide mm-hmm. you know and they're like and what you hear people say is a lot of times i will hear people say that agar hota nahi to karna nahi chahiye tha ah yeah of course it's seen as like a strength you know like if you don't yeah. engage in that then you're stronger than the others yeah 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 that 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 nonsense saying you know if you can do mm-hmm. engineering or if you can uh, give those je exams you can do anything in life mm-hmm. i don't think it's the best for your mental health if you're mm-hmm. becoming a warrior in <laughs> i don't know those yeah. negative aspects you know mm-hmm. so oh i would just say like against her to cut you off uh, you know it's such a patriarchal a point of view where yeah yeah you're not vulnerable you don't show any emotions then yes you're stronger or oh, you're yeah. showing anger yes anger is seen as again where you're being assertive and you're being dominant and so that's a good trait that's a positive trait within patriarchy so you know often times because we associate so much success with academia that like if we're just looking at it within india more like i have been to coaching centers and tuitions and what not and just to like look at it also like it wasn't from a standpoint of like learning understanding better even thinking about like what you're consuming you know what sort of information you're consuming but mm-hmm. the prime focus was to gain the best grade or as much marks as you can you know because that's considered as being successful Mm-hmm. so if you get below let's say like 90% in something then even though you did well like if you just overall look at it that's great you passed yeah. you know you there's a process to you learning it's still considered as a failure and i think yeah. like and it's only considered as a failure till you get to the next sort of academic level or institution yeah. you know after that neither do you care about it not to the people around you care about it exactly it's literally only till the next step and we yeah. and often parents get so anxious around this because mm. like their child's success kind of brings you know feelings of pride or shame to them again it becomes like a dysfunctional sort of cycle within families yeah right gautam are there any particular mental health illnesses that make someone more prone to engaging in self injury you know with this again i would say diagnosis itself is like the context is that most of these diagnoses are taken from uh, the dsm mm-hmm. and dsm usually is made by a majority of white people so mm. i feel like one of the problems with diagnosis is that it's it's gained from such a niche population that but you still put it you still like diagnose people from all different cultures and populations based on this one book so i think that's one of the issues with diagnosis but regardless like based on let's say certain research that's been conducted you know behaviors behavioral mm-hmm. or emotional disorders that tend to occur uh, within your childhood or adolescence depressive disorders bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder impulsivity mm-hmm. post traumatic these disorders are associated with again higher chances of the person engaging in an ssi but again it's not it's not a sure shot i think when you look at mental health as a whole you know there are so many factors that are involved again as even with a cultural factor of like how do you view mental health in society right mm-hmm. if you view it as something negative where 
you know if you're expen- experiencing some sort of distress that means you're weaker that means mm-hmm. you're supposed to carry a lot of shame around experiencing distress so in that cultural context you will sort of withdraw from talking about it mm-hmm. and so when we conduct any sort of research in like an indian context it's so hard to even get like collect data that's authentic because a lot of the times people refrain from being open about their own experiences so i think that's why like with disorders it's really hard to know it's just like if there are you know if you're experiencing depression or if you're experiencing distress in a way that overwhelms you it leads to isolation it leads to affect functionality on a daily basis and you just need a way to cope because you mm-hmm. don't have the appropriate support that you need then yes you will engage in nssi because that seems like a possible way of you know releasing that tension but rather than looking at that with stigma we should understand that it's because of the lack of appropriate care appropriate support support that's accessible again our views of mental health suicide death it's because of those reasons being systemic is why you know people engage in that sort of behavior right okay so lastly gautam i just want to ask you if somebody has a friend or an acquaintance who they know engages in self injury mm-hmm. what can they do to kind of help them or just be there for them and also for someone themselves who engage in self injury what can they also do to help themselves well you know something when it comes to your own self i'll give mm. you an example something that i do with my clients is i ask them you know cuz often times it's easier for us to show compassion to someone else than mm. to show like self compassion yeah. yeah so with clients who engage in behavior that causes a lot of shame to them or they don't know how to support themselves or they aren't able to be compassionate with themselves mm-hmm. i often ask them to imagine like someone someone who they deeply care about coming to them with similar experiences and sort of explaining this and then how that person would offer support to this individual and usually the answer that they give themselves versus they give this person is quite different because you know they can be compassionate to this other individual mm-hmm. so i think like in that way though you can build this self compassion and curiosity is such a big piece of this because trying to understand what purpose serves this particular individual mm-hmm. and trying to understand their history trying to understand their different groups like social aspect their academia whether if it's work you know family dynamics other rela- like intimate relationships or not like when you get information about all these different aspects of their life you can empathize with them better because you have more context on this person so i think trying to gauge more of that like trying to understand that okay where are you coming from what purpose does this serve you trying to be curious with them and continue to even question them and have them question their own mental state or why they do the why they do things the way they do it kind of helps build a sort of narrative where you can change the way you view a certain behavior and rather than associating it as like a characteristic of you you're able to understand that this doesn't define who you are this may be a behavior that you engage in but that doesn't mean that that is who you are you know mm-hmm. so once you're able to separate that 
you're able to also create a different narrative where you engage in a more positive and healthy coping mechanism now going to the other aspect of the question where like if someone you know um and i'm guessing that means like you're not in the field but you know you have a friend or someone who's going through a certain distress again i would say like trying to understand where they're coming from trying to not impose uh, your judgment or shame on to them trying to not make assumptions about them and just trying to be an active listener really helps and also ask them what kind of support are you looking for do you want me to provide you with solutions or do you just want to be heard you know because sometimes we just want to be heard and let's say if a situation comes up where your friend tells you that they engage in this behavior and you ask them like do they want to be heard do they want support they just say they want to be heard then that's all right have that conversation where you try to understand where they're coming from then like try to check in with them because if you deeply care about this person then you also build on that you let them know how much they matter to you you let them know like why this relationship is important to you because that connection goes both ways so when you're able to be mm-hmm. vulnerable within that space you're also able to provide that opportunity for the other person to be vulnerable as well and then you know if it comes to a point where this person can reach out and tell you that they want support that that whatever is currently working out isn't really help then both of you can look together for whether if it's like clinics that you know because they want to do in person sessions then it's trying to look for clinics within the area if they want to do online then again it's about like trying to find therapists online that are mm-hmm. credible enough and that you know are within a certain budget because i think yeah. that's a big part of it and then yeah like even when it comes to like conversations with family members like if the person is comfortable enough to do it because there is a different timeline for each person just because you engage in that behavior doesn't mean that you have to immediately go tell your parents because it's so dep- it depends so much on like what sort of a reaction you're going to get from them and what kind of a support that you're going to get from them so if the first step is just getting a therapist on board and then with the work from with the therapist you know they can gauge their own timeline as to when to include parents in that conversation and also provide psychoeducation to the parents so that they don't react in a negative way to the client right so that was a very informative and helpful episode i'd say honestly because there's so much to learn from it so many things that i didn't know about it and think of in a way like you know you mentioned one of the things that let's say the weather is very hot outside and you're wearing full sleeves mm-hmm. you know i had never thought of that as self harm or like you know self injury in a way so it's just small things that you know there are probably like at the back of head like you might think of it but like it's not that's in your conscious you know mm-hmm. in a way i think in those aspects so many things to learn from you honestly so yeah thank you gautam for sharing your thoughts with us um i really hope this does help people as well and i hope they can learn and unlearn from this episode yeah again thank you so much uh, for inviting me uh, i've never done a podcast before so this really does feel meaningful to me and honestly i love the work that you all are doing cuz again this is student led and you're just making time from your own schedules to sort of mm-hmm. you know do this so that's really wonderful thank you another thing that like when i mentioned again nssi and su- suicide attempt again they are they can occur in isolation yeah but there is another relationship where 
based on research that's conducted you know nssi behaviors with certain characteristics are associated with significantly higher rates of suicidal acts mm-hmm. and that could be like duration being longer than a year higher number of methods used uh, mm-hmm. cutting cutting to the point of again causing severe physical damage uh, higher frequency of engaging in the act absence of physical pain during the act mm-hmm. a strong conscious intention to die and also like concealment of the action so these are some characteristics which are associated again with higher rates but at the same time you know there are some people who argue that it sort of acts as like rather than engaging in suicide people engage in nssi so it actually prevents suicide but you know again i feel like this tends to be so subjective because it's based on like how a person views something why they engage in that behavior so because it's so subjective it's hard to find like have an objective lens around it mm-hmm. and so that is why like usually when it comes to like research around this you know you have research that goes in many directions and it doesn't really provide you with a solution so but yeah thank you for being with us gautam and uh, thank you I so really much appreciate it and yeah, to sure. and to everyone who's listening thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode